Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. As an arts and health advocate, internationally acclaimed soprano Renee Fleming has brought global attention to the ways in which singing, dancing, painting, and more can improve the quality of life for those affected by illness. Ahead of LA Opera's June 9th Arts and Health Summit, hear Renee in conversation with Dr. Andrea Fuentes, director of LA Opera Connects, as they discuss the research and practice of integrating arts and health. Learn more at laopera.org forward slash arts and health. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special L.A. Opera Behind the Curtain podcast episode. I'm Dr. Andrea Fuentes, director of L.A. Opera Connects, the community engagement and learning office at L.A. Opera. And today I'm joined by internationally acclaimed soprano and arts and health advocate Renee Fleming. Renee, it is so great to speak with you today at the start of Los Angeles County's Arts and Health Week. Thank you, Andrea. I'm really happy to speak with you as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'd like to start and just create some background for people because, of course, we know how important this work is, and we're so grateful to be able to collaborate with you on these projects. Of course, you're LA Opera's um, advisor for special projects, and so like we get this great benefit. But for those of us who might not know how you got started in arts and health advocacy, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, I became interested because I just started reading science. I was drawn to science articles. And when I saw that scientists were studying music in the brain and music in general, I was really surprised and pleasantly surprised. And I kind of started following it. I mean, I had issues myself with performance, with a performance anxiety with somatic pain as a distraction from performance anxiety. And so I I also became an, interested in the mind-body connection as a result, which early in my career wasn't particularly acknowledged by medicine at that point. They, there was, it was felt that the, the brain and the body were really separate. Um, and now people know, of course, that's not true. I then met Francis Collins at a dinner party. So he, for 12 years, was director of the National Institutes of Health. He's a fantastic amateur musician. And so I asked him, why are scientists studying music? And so he said, we want to understand the brain. We have a new brain initiative at the NIH. And music is one of the ways, really, that we can learn about how uh, the brain processes, where it processes, what the mapping is, et cetera. And so I said, well, I was just appointed to uh, be an advisor at large at the Kennedy Center. I said, can we, I think the audience would be really interested in this. Can we work together? I think the Kennedy Center could be a platform for science. And then I approached Los Angeles Opera and uh, Christopher Kolsch was, you know, excited about it. And frankly, I think you were already doing this. This work was already, had already existed um, as a part of outreach and um, connecting with the public in Los Angeles. I, I think LA Opera's done more than any other company at all in the, in the United States in this area. It's very exciting. And especially to have LA Arts and Health Week is especially thrilling. It got off the ground in Washington and I started taking it on the road, but basically offering a presentation to the venues where I performed, which was wonderful for me because otherwise I was in a hotel room saving, you know, worrying about my voice. And suddenly I could meet scientists and meet healthcare providers and bring them together with the presenters and learn a great deal. Uh, but also, I think for the regional audiences and really, frankly, also in China and in Europe, uh, audiences loved it too. 
and and this this field is just exploding right now. It's growing so fast. Well, that's wonderful. I I guess my question would be when you were having these initial conversations, it sounds like people were receptive. Was that sort of always the case or were you trying to convince minds as you were going? I I would say early on, certainly doctors and scientists were, many of them were quite skeptical and referred to it as soft science, really didn't think there was a there there. Um, And that's the beauty of scanning and the beauty of the funding that's come from the NIH for the research is that people take it seriously now. People also, I think, understand intrinsically that integrative medicine, preventative medicine are strengthened. And this can be part of both of those worlds, both of those institutes, actually, at the National Institutes of Health and certainly aging. So I think we have a better understanding of the fact that we're whole people and we need to be treated as also emotional beings uh, and that we have more control over our health subconsciously than science realized. It's all kind of open to discovery, but it's a little bit back to the future because what's happening is we're we're uncovering things that we've always known. Indigenous cultures have known it. History has known it, that we have formulated ways of being that incorporates creativity and arts and always has. Thank you. And I think it's it's so important to have someone like you, not that there's anyone like you, but that there's there's someone like you who can speak to this and bring attention to this, because I, I know that there are people out there, as as you, you mentioned, who say musicians are not doctors. They have no place in this area. It's something that as I've done this work through LA Opera that I have been confronted with. I think that we all feel very strongly that that's not the case. And of course, we're not doctors, but we're we're providing a service. Is there anything that you have found that is helpful when you are speaking to someone that you either point them in a direction of, of research or you point them to a particular program? Or how do you have those conversations? I think that some of the interventions that have been developed that are really successful, we're still in kind of baby steps when it comes to the research, and which requires a tremendous amount of building um, and a foundation that will create a body of proven and validated science. But the things that we do have are powerful. The fact that you could have a stroke and regain speech through melodic intonation therapy, literally it could begin in one session. I don't think many people know about this. And so to have that accessible to somebody, it has to happen with stroke. You have to treat people quickly. You know, you don't have a huge amount of time for the brain to kind of the plasticity of the brain to take effect in a really powerful way. Once you see that, that's incredible. And then, of course, Parkinson's patients who suddenly and magically, seemingly magically, can move fluidly with rhythm, with a musical beat, because the part of the brain that's freezing and shuffling is bypassed. So this is, many of these treatments point to the plasticity of the brain. And there's no question that certainly for children, it's been proven that instruction in music, particularly instrumental music, can really change the game for them as students and as their brains develop. I I happen to think it's also great for them, you know, expressively that they can develop skills that will serve them very well in life. And of course, we know some of it is, is also discipline, the practice. So there are many, many examples of things that really work. But there's also now, because mental health has become such an important subject in the world, just meeting for an entire morning with Dr. Tedros, the director general of the World Health Organization, that was the one thing he said. He was really concerned that depression is up 30% in the world. 
there's no question that there are many kind of artistic pursuits, activities that make us feel better, that that bring that change the brain, that change that changes how we function. I mean, and Vivek Murthy, our Surgeon General, talks you know a lot right now about the fact that isolation and loneliness are equal to smoking ten packs of cigarette a day. You know, they really they have a huge effect on mortality as much as obesity and smoking. There's something wonderful about sharing experiences in an artistic setting. We suddenly feel like we're not alone. We feel like we're our brains align, the waves actually align. And whatever we can do to help people feel that sense of community, which we're struggling with right now, because we can't, we're tending to live more and more on our phones, which is, you know, not particularly healthy. So those are, those are some examples of things that I talk about and some of it's common sense, but I feel really strongly the more I learn about this, that, that um, the arts and creative art therapies belong in healthcare. And we also, the morale of our healthcare system, morale of the people who work in it is low after COVID. So we can be so supportive of that. And there are so many artists in the country. I mean, I think it makes us feel good too, to give back, to feel like we're making a contribution to someone's life. Thank you. I, I, I certainly can attest to that. I've, I've seen the changes that have impacted people through this kind of work. And I think you've alluded to a few. Are there some places that really stick out in your mind, experiences that you've had that you feel comfortable sharing um, where you've really seen the impact of this kind of work? One of my current favorites is you. It's UCLA Health, Opera for Life and Wellness, this COVID work that I saw um, a man, you know, a robust looking man, wasn't very old, in tears on a Zoom call talking about how medicine had given up on him after uh, he couldn't breathe. You know, he suddenly developed long COVID in a way that, that made it extremely difficult for him to breathe. And they said they basically gave him a few years to live. He just joined this class um, with your fantastic singers and UCLA was involved. And it was, it, it turned him around really quickly. And he, you know, so this, this is another, this is like a powerful proof that this type of work can help someone heal. So it's not just, you know, go home and do these exercises. It's, it's being on a, even a Zoom call with four other people and you're learning, you know, about breathing, you're learning about yoga, you're learning about alignment and some of the things that we singers do. And it made a massive difference and he's fine now. Gosh, yeah, I, I know who you're you're referencing. And that that was a very memorable moment when he was talking about that. And um, of course, we're all very grateful to our, our teaching artists. I would like to mention their names because, of course, they were a big part of this. And so that's Nani Sinha that you're refer referencing and Michelle Patsakis. And they're a big part of this program and a big part of our arts and health work. I guess I, I would like to ask you a little bit. I know that you've recently been appointed to the World Health Organization as the Goodwill Ambassador for arts and health. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, this was really exciting. It kind of makes the platform a little bit bigger for me. It gives me a little bit more leverage to draw attention to this because of the respect that we all have for this institution. And in fact, you know, this all happened because Chris Bailey, who's coming to join us for our Arts and Health Week in LA, worked on it for a while. I mean, this was not part of their what they were doing, and it wasn't going to be part of what they were doing because we obviously global health has a lot of serious problems. I mean, we're a very developed, wealthy country. So 
we had problems too, but not compared to uh, some of the poorest countries in the world. But in in fact, they get it. They get it. And I think it's also because uh, a lot of these areas and places in the world are still connected to some of the things we're talking about. They never stopped being connected to it. And really, at the end of the day, I'm an advocate. I feel like I'm the field's cheerleader. And I, you know, and hopefully there will be more of us. uh, And there are already. I mean, it's really there are a lot of gifted performers who suddenly said, hey, I really like this. This is something I want to connect with. Pretty Ende, an opera singer from South Africa, joined me actually with the World Health Organization. And she's concerned about the stigma around uh, mental health. She, even in her social media, rather than presenting this rosy life of the opera diva, likes to kind of keep it real. It's an exciting opportunity. I was there for two days during the their annual assembly, and I learned so much. They were focused on women's and children's health. So to hear, you know, people from... 80 countries get up and give three-minute presentations about maternal death and infant death and, um, you know, trying to get those numbers down a little bit lower. It was just talk about a reality check, you know, about what's happening in the world. Wow. Yeah. And and thinking about all of the places where this could be impactful and having the advocacy that is, is needed there. What are the kinds of changes that you would like to see uh, either in healthcare settings or in these collaborations from the work that you do? I think that if healthcare uh, could add, and this probably would, you know, logically begin with insurance companies who are really now focused very much on integrative and, and preventative health, if they could add some of these initiatives uh, to what they offer or what they you know, what's available to people, that they learn about some of these interventions, that they, there are, there are choirs that serve people who've had stroke. Um, I mean, oral singing is one of the easiest things. It's widespread. Uh, people love it. And it improves your, actually your immune system strengthens if you're singing with other people. And certainly the long COVID work, I'm working with uh, Johns Hopkins and another organization to try and create uh, some kind of uh, technology that could measure breathing and and give pulmonologists kind of a better data because they don't get any they have no data until somebody comes in. We, typically, they don't even come in until they're in stage four, some awful you know lung disease. So I think long COVID has kind of given this a push, and there are so many people who suffer from that. Um, so just to have this available, and, and certainly treating families, you know, families are also who are grieving around uh, illness treating healthcare providers. There are many different areas in which we can contribute. And creative arts therapists who are highly trained, who are skilled, is, of course, the ground zero of the work that gets done. But then there is also music medicine, which which are artists who can go into a healthcare setting. Hopefully in the future, one of the things I'd like to see, and it's happening already, is that they can be certified. So to go into healthcare setting safely, because there's a lot to know so that you get out of people's way when anything serious is going on, et cetera. What I would like to turn our attention to is is what brought us together today, which is the Los Angeles County Arts and Health Week, and specifically the summit, which will be on June 9th here at LA Opera in the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in downtown Los Angeles. We've got a lot of wonderful arts and health partners coming, and we're focusing on creative aging. Could you Tell me a little bit about what the summit is like for you and what you enjoy about meeting with these other folks at the summit. 
Well, the Arts and Health Week Summit last year was really fascinating because you, uh, LA Opera, really went out into the community. And so I was able to learn a lot more about the type of work that's going on right now. Because I was performing, I couldn't go to everything. But I know that Koreatown, this this uh, intergenerational kimchi making was just so logical to put together people who had that knowledge who were older, who were isolated with teens, who were also isolated, and and let them uh, have that intergenerational community experience, which is so crucial. I also was able to go to Able Arts' work in Pasadena, which is a beautiful venue, and to know that there's a safe place for young people and really people of all ages to come and make art. Um, It's actually a community center. It's beautiful. And they can sell their art even to benefit the um, Able Arts work. The talent was extraordinary. That's the wonderful thing is if you give someone a, an artistic outlet, you never quite know how what you're going to discover about the person. And in this case, there were a lot of gifted, especially young people. So I, I enjoyed that a lot. The notion that policy can be be affected by exposure to what's happening. And certainly there was a community center out too. It was extraordinary how they had helped their citizens during COVID, you know, just getting information out and all of that. So, you know, Los Angeles is an incredibly rich area in terms of the diversity, the types of communities and the way in which they convene. And I love the veterans program also, the fact that they love opera, that it makes them feel more at home in a way. It's not actually a therapeutic activity. It's more of something that they can kind of dress and go and feel like everyone else. And it's certainly the content of opera, you know, mirrors a little bit the violence and trauma that they've experienced as well. I really enjoyed that. And and this year uh, promises to be incredible too. And I'm glad we're focused on on aging because there certainly the disorders of aging are important in this. And I believe the NIH is also looking at this closely, more closely now. But to have Los Angeles County uh, leaders and directors of of various departments with us, arts and culture, aging and disabilities and mental health is exciting. So as far as I know, LA County is the first county in the U.S. to really call out Arts and Health Week and to draw attention and focus to this work that's being done that's so meaningful. I'm now suggesting everywhere else that I go, you might follow in their footsteps because this is important work and it's just incredible that your leadership has figured that out. Of course, Chris Bailey from the World Health Organization. I think it's going to be a fascinating day. I'm looking forward to it so much. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited. One of the things I really love about the summit is having all of these um, like-minded people who are really investigating this and and bringing their their backgrounds and their interests into this space where we can discuss this further. Because as you've mentioned, you're an advocate and you're a cheerleader, and we're so grateful to you. And we need more folks who are in that same camp. And so I love that we're bringing that all together. And one of the things that I think will be interesting about this day is that we have some experiential sessions. So we'll have in the afternoon a couple of different places where you can experience as a participant um, the kinds of work that's being done around the county. So I think that's really wonderful. Stacey Amon Yeldell, who's doing the uh, session in the afternoon, she is just 
such a beautiful speaker. Uh, her work is inspiring. I think she's had news pieces done on families that she's helped who've lost children to various diseases. I mean, she's really special, I think. So I'm happy that she's with us. And I look forward to seeing more about your program, Music to Remember, in Alzheimer's Los Angeles, Memories in the Making, and in Vertigo Dance. So these are these will be new to me. Having this conversation then with also featuring Asal Habibi, who's such a brilliant researcher. And I don't, I don't want to forget also to say that the other really extraordinary person who will be with us is Dr. Maria Rosario Jackson, who's head of the NEA, the National Endowment for the Arts. She brings tremendous gravitas to this. I think we're all going to learn a lot and be inspired. I think so, too. I also wanted to mention um, your recital that we get to see on June 10th here at LA Opera. If it's okay to ask you about it, I'm excited always to hear you sing, but also that this was written for you. Part of it is the West Coast premiere of a piece written by Andre Previn and Tom Stoppard. I'm very excited. So Andre Previn was a collaborator. We, I premiered um, Blanche Dubois in San Francisco, which was a really successful opera that he wrote. And in fact, I sang it in out with LA Opera at one point as well. And his last piece that he wrote was a collaboration with Tom Stoppard, who's a quite close friend, the, the brilliant British playwright. And uh, Tom decided to set the story of Penelope for me. We eventually included an actress because there was a the long you know, piece of text so that the piece wouldn't be, you know, opera length. So we premiered that with Uma Thurman a couple of years ago and the Emerson Quartet, who are, you know, really have been probably the most esteemed quartet in my history. And this is a part of their sort of last run of performances because they're they're disbanding up in the end of October. So it'll be a, an exciting event to hear them knowing that. But Penelope is is uh, it's a really thoughtful, interesting work. It's it's part storytelling and part first person in terms of this you know extraordinary character. And then I have um, selections from film. I really focused on film music since we're in LA. I'm kind of excited about the program. Some of the music that I love to perform uh, with Simona Dinnerstein on the second half. She's a, a pianist um, who's so terrific. Grieg for a Kevin Putz, who wrote The Hours that I sing in at the Met in the fall. Uh, we have a song. It's just, these are from Voice of Nature, which is uh, the Anthropocene, which is the album I won a Grammy for this year. And then the film music uh, is from Wuthering Heights. It's um, All the Things You Are, which was, you know, earlier in the century. And then another aria from Streetcar Named Desire. So another uh, ending with an Andre Previn aria that's Fantastic. And, and there will, of course, be some nice encores as well. So it's a really well-rounded, interesting program. Wow. Well, I know that I will be very excited to hear those things. Some of the songs by uh, Foray, I think I've listened to you sing them on repeat for many years. So it will be a great treat to hear them. In closing, I just want to thank you for your time today. I want to thank you for your advocacy in this space, because working here at LA Opera, I have seen the changes that that your advocacy has brought. And it has, you know, opened doors for our department to make inroads into this kind of work. And certainly then we get to benefit 
as the practitioners of seeing the changes that are happening in real time. Um, and that's been very meaningful to us as a staff and to our opera company and, of course, to those in our communities that we're serving. So I, I definitely want to take a moment to acknowledge that because we, we definitely feel it here. It's really an honor to participate and be involved with this company. Well, thank you. There's still time to sign up for our Arts and Health Summit on Friday, June 9th, uh, if you check out leopera.org. If you're interested in learning more about arts and health programming, please visit the links in the description below. If you enjoyed listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain, subscribe and leave a rating or review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to share this episode with your friends on your favorite social media, and we'll see you at the opera. Opera.